0: Hello folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to The Daily Evolver. It's Wednesday, January 31st, 2018, and I am happy to be here and joined today by Corey DeVos, Editor-in-Chief of Integral Life. Hey, Corey.
1: Hey, my man. How you doing?
0: I'm doing good. And your presence reminds me to remind people to become a member of Integral Life It is the central web portal for the integral community and run by a really great group of people who deserve and have earned your respect respect. and support, mainly. So, um, yeah. So here we are the day after Donald Trump's first real State of the Union address. And uh, Corey, you say you and Angie boycotted it.
1: <laughs> yeah, we didn't really want to contribute to his uh, live ratings. So we started the speech. I think we watched uh, food shows on the Food Network for an hour. Oh, did you? That's and good. Then, and then tuned in for all the coverage afterwards. And, you know, I, yeah. think, I think that was probably good for our blood pressure.
0: I did the same thing. I mean, I I can't really watch him for long periods of time, particularly in that kind of a situation where he's like reading from a teleprompter. Yeah. I I can sort of watch his uh, uh you know watch his um uh, events or his interviews better. But
1: yeah, uh, An hour and a half of that voice is is you know that's a, that's a long time to endure.
0: And then all the applause—it's interminable. Yeah. But at any rate, I did check in, of course, on the coverage and, and I checked in on pieces of it and read it, uh, which is a good way to go with him. Uh, and um, I, I got an email this morning from a friend of mine who's an integral thinker who is, you know, sort of secretly sympathetic to Trump. And he, his message was uh, some version of, so how you feeling about Donald Trump this morning? And... Um, And it was interesting when I read it because I realized that my liberal Boulder friends don't even ask me that question because they assume that I feel the same way they do, which is just a pure unadulterated hatred for the guy. And, and I will say that, you know, coming from my more integral self, I see that my green, Boulder postmodern liberal Jeff does feel that way. And, um, You know, anytime I veer into seeing what might be positive about Trump or at least Trump's impact, that bolder liberal Jeff pulls me back and reminds me (laughs) that this was the guy who, and I don't use this word often, this is the motherfucker who rode birtherism to political prominence. Uh, And I remember in real time just thinking how breathtakingly cynical amoral brazen it was, this bullshit that Obama was born in Kenya and was an illegitimate president therefore, and, and a Muslim too, even though that does not make sense. And, um, you know, I can get all worked up about that. And, and I will never forgive him for that. I, it's, it's still stunning to me uh, and such an insight into the character of this man. And, and I realized that furthermore, I don't want to forgive him for that. You know, even though I know forgiving him would be more enlightened, uh, I don't want to be more enlightened. (laughs) And actually as an aside, I would say that I actually don't think it would be more enlightened. I think it would be some sort of a spiritual bypass. Uh, and, and, and and the, 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 you know, the, the point is, is that I'm not there yet. And, uh, And this is what an evolutionary view helps us to see, is that, you know, we always think about, you know, we're putting ourselves at the top of this sort of hierarchy and so forth because integralists and so forth. But actually, one of the great insights of evolutionary thought is that there's more to come. You know, there's a bigger, better Jeff uh, to come in the horizon. And um, that when you're an angry 13-year-old, sometimes you ought to just be an angry 13-year-old. And there's no sense pretending that you're not. But what I can do and what I try to do and on a good day do, and that is I try to witness my hatred. You know, I can feel this repulsion from Trump. I can feel my body reactions. I can feel the contraction. I can feel the red flash of anger that rises and collects itself in my throat chakra, such that sometimes I must then shout the F word. And sometimes I allow myself that and um, and it 's all good and, and, and that kind of self observation is not only fun uh, but it 's quite evolutionarily potent it 's the key to any this you know developing this witness this this observing consciousness is the key to contemplative practice of all kinds, and certainly integral practice uh, and And the sort of of radical reorientation is that we're not fixing ourselves, we're not trying to be better, we're not judging ourselves, we're simply witnessing ourselves with love and acceptance and understanding, and that itself is potent because it allows you to sort of feel into that um, unwanted material, as the Buddhists would say. That anger or uh, repulsion. So, as I do that with Trump, and as I have done that with Trump, and then also just, you know, the pragmatic Jeff is that this, you know, con man is the president of the United States, and I have to take him seriously because I have to take that office seriously, and I, I do. Um, you know, where it's gotten me in the last year or so is that I realized that being part of the resistance just isn't enough just that hatred just isn't enough it's it's I, it feels stuck and the worst bit of all in terms of the erotic flow of emergence it's boring you know i don't want to lose what i have there but i don't want to be limited by that either and i find that what's more interesting and um you know as i contemplate the state of the union and the policies and so forth is you know, just some version of, wow, what hath God wrought? I mean, how is it that this Donald Trump can be president of the United States? How does, what does that tell us about the nature of reality, actually? You know, and I've been opining on that in the daily evolver for however long it's been, a year and a half, I guess, since he came down the escalator. Um, and, you know, I, just as a little summation, you know, what I, I think is that Donald Trump is red Uh, he comes from what from what we call that egocentric stage of development it's actually pre-traditional and seeing him makes me realize the power of red and that red is still with us even though at modern and postmodern we've largely civilized it we've certainly tried to marginalize it but when it comes online in the kind of brazen you know, shameless way that he brings it, it's powerful. And, you know, we all have that strata and we can feel it, whether it's in resistance or whether it's in support. And there's, you know, currently in the country, some, you know, 33% in support and the rest, probably 33% a little ambivalent or a lot ambivalent and 33% in resistance and just round numbers. Uh, but it, again, it makes me realize that this river of evolution, this river of that this anti-entropic river that's, as they say, running uphill, that there's a complexification of movement towards goodness, truth, and beauty uh, is a lot more turbulent than I thought. And it's full of all kinds of eddies and whirlpools and black swans. uh, And that yet there is good that can come out of this. And so, um, so, I think actually in the State of the Union, there are a couple of things that uh, I'm actually pretty hopeful about. And I just want to talk about them briefly here um, because we'll see how it all transpires. And, you know, I really don't trust Trump uh, in any kind of a way that I think what he said last night is what he'll say tomorrow or the next day. But, you know, these are, there's two big themes that he worked with immigration and infrastructure that I think really actually moved the ball on immigration. uh, He's putting out some version of what I think is a pretty good compromise that will actually happen. And that is that the dreamers, the 1.5, 1.8 million people who are here, uh, because they're Parents brought them here illegally, but they were raised Americans. That these people have a path to citizenship in exchange for a border wall, a wall across the southern border. Maybe it's symbolic, maybe it's a bit of a fence, maybe there's a drone here and there, maybe whatever it is, but it's a wall. And this wall matters to this, for sure, it matters a lot to this 33% of the population. And, you know, from an integral perspective, we could see that there's, you know, th- th- there's a quality to a traditionalism, to this um, sort of pre-modern um, worldview that is ethnocentric, um, that, you know, has traditional uh, 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 sex roles and r- religious and so forth, is that it is fearful of the other, you know? And And yet there these people are, they get to be here, and it's a democracy. And as far as I'm concerned, they can have their wall. If that makes them feel better, they can have their wall. It'd be a nice make work project at at, at any rate. Um, In terms of chain migration, so-called, I can see the intelligence of limiting uh, immigration to the immediate family, to spouse and children. Um, As for the lottery, uh, It's an interesting one because I have a personal experience with the lottery. One of my dearest friends is here as the result of it. And it is being terribly mischaracterized as, of course, political discourse is just dripping with exaggeration, manipulation, hypocrisy. Uh, That is just, you know, that's the skill set of politics. Um, And in a way, legitimately, because that's how people get led, but that's another story. But the idea that this lottery just picks people at random from all across the planet and they're immediately let in is very wrong. I mean, my friend spent years and and thousands of dollars on a very onerous process of proving that she was a solid and productive citizen, which she is. And I will say that, you know, that she came from a country that would not be on the map. It's one of the uh, Trump's shithole countries, actually. And um, and having people from all of these countries around the world does add to the mosaic of America, it adds richness, it it adds multi-perspectives to our culture. But it gets so confused, and this is where uh, I think integral thinking can really help with uh, navigating this whole immigration issue. And that is, we get this confusion between a shithole country and a not shithole country with race, religion, where what is actually important is the altitude of development of the person that we're considering bringing (laughs) into the country. And and we don't want to be importing other cultures' pre-modern karmas. You know, their blood feuds, their ethnocentricities. Uh, we have enough of our own. So, yes, I think, um, you know, do we want cousins and, you know, adult parents and so forth? Not necessarily. Um, but we want people who are modern or postmodern or integral. And it feels, seems like uh, that's what's happening. When I look at the uh, statistics around uh, African immigrants particularly, is that they are better educated and more successful in business than our native population. And that's an immigration system that's working, at least in a nation-centric way, at least working for America. Now, there's a world-centric argument that we should not be abetting their brain drain. These third world countries, if you will, uh, these developing countries need to keep their modernists. And they're These are people who are going to, you know, help their culture move forward. Uh, And we don't necessarily, from a world-centric perspective, want them to come to the developed countries, even though they may want to. But then that's complicated, too, because I think of my friend who's over here, and she's now a citizen, and she has put together a very powerful internet project that she, she actually does it beneath the radar. And so she doesn't want to be named but it has done tremendous good for her country of origin. And that's a good that she may not have been able to do if she had stayed there. So there you have it. Um, I I think that this is a a reasonable compromise. Will Democrats go for it? (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. And I actually think they will. And and here's why. Um, First of all, I'd say that Republicans would not have gone for it if Obama were proposing it. And that just doesn't seem right. It just doesn't seem fair, Uh, you know, because it it is amnesty. And that was, it's always been such a trigger word, you know, fair enough, but it is amnesty. It is a a, a move towards citizenship for the dreamers. Uh, And they would never period have gone for that. But, um, But the Democrats, should and will, I think. And, and, and here's another integral lesson that I think help us, helps us understand why, even though that's not fair, um, it should happen. Uh, there is, if, if we look at people who are on the conservative side of the street, uh, you know, they're, they tend more towards absolutistic thinking. And traditionalism, that is the way of things. It's right and wrong, black and white, good and bad. Early modernists sort of keep that still resonates with them. Uh, And there is something that's powerful about that. Uh, You're on the right side and it's not very complex and there you are and it's more simple. And there's a solidarity among conservatives that liberals (laughs) just can't seem to match. And nor should they, because liberals are on the other side of the street where there's shades of gray and there's actually antibodies to these absolutistic claims. And, and so you have the Democrats <laughs> coming out last night with five responses to Trump's State of the Union. And, and you know, it, it's, it, you could parody it in a way. Uh, and it's like herding cats, as they say. But there's an upside to that, too because the liberal side of the street has more flexibility of mind, more creativity, more forward momentum. And let's appreciate that because, you know, that wins the day, ultimately. I mean, it feels like conservatives win the battles and the liberals win the war, if you ask me. I mean, because if you look at modern history, you see that on balance, it is the relentless installation of ever more liberal views, policies, whether it's cultural, sexual, economic, uh, whatever it is. So, um, so there's that polarity between the sort of, you know, monoperspective uh, so solidarity of, of the right and the sort of, you know, flexible creativity of the left. And, um, and of course, the other thing, that liberals have more of, and I think this will really be decisive here -- is that liberals have oh, my chair there we go. Liberals have more sensitivity. Um, it's, it, it, we talk about green, the green altitude of development, being the sensitive self comes online. And we develop feelings for particularly people who are on the outs, people that were normally marginalized by the previous stages of development and the downtrodden, and, and so there's this sensitivity to these dreamers that liberals feel and conservatives, not so much. And, you know, the moderate middle, middle. be convinced. I mean, once they see a few of them pried out of their homes and, uh, you know, sent off, and it, when America's all they know, I think, uh, you know, that, that I'm not sure that even the, the modernist middle has a stomach for that, and we can see that that there are polls that show that high 70%, 79% of uh, Americans think that the dreamers ought to have a path to citizenship. You don't get 79% agreement on much of anything. So this extra sensitivity that liberals have, God bless us, uh, I think will rule the day because they really do want this policy done. These people really do need to get um, real. In this country, they need to, to know that they're planted here and they're Americans and, and we love them and they love us and on with the show. So, so you know, this compromise, if it happens, will piss off the hardcore left, uh, like Bill Maher, you know, and, and, and I, I, I get a kick out of him and I'm sympathetic. He, his whole thing is that Democrats are wimps and pussies and that it's a, this is a bar fight and that we. You know, Democrats are squeamish. They can't go for the jugular. And I think that's true. Uh, And I think that would be more uh, consequential if life and politics and the world was a zero-sum game where there's only so much stuff, so much goodies, and we have to fight for our share. And the more you get, the less I get. But that's not it. That's not what it is. It's an evolving game this world and politics, and this emotional sensitivity mixed with pragmatism that I think the Democrats, if the, you know, can us if, if the Democratic Party even is to go on, and I'm not 100% sure that's true, but, but emergence will go on. Uh, And I think that this sort of, like I said, sensitive sensitive pragmatism is very appealing to younger people. And and, and, and let's just acknowledge that young people today, millennials, uh, are coming on of age green, you know, for the most part. Two-thirds of them are just, they're just arriving at green when they come of age. And the (laughs) pre-modern antics of uh, President Donald Trump are providing to them a spectacularly good example of, of just who and what they don't want to be. So again, the war will be won, whether it's the, the parties, the Democrats, or whether it's something new comes along that, that you know, the sort of sensitive liberal pragmatism uh, is basically the shape of an emerging integral world. So, so anyway, that's, that's some thoughts on immigration. And then just a few thoughts on the infrastructure. You know, I don't know what to think of all of this. I mean, this, this is where I, I, I actually allow integral theory to re- release me from the responsibility of having strong opinions about these things because, you know, I hear the argument that infrastructure creates growth and, you know, certainly we can see that there are some things that only the... Federal government can do the interstate highways, the NASA, the the moonshot, all of that sort of thing um, has been tremendously fruitful in terms of creating growth for the country. So I actually buy that argument, and I can get behind that. Uh, The details around, you know, is there an argument that the feds should just give the money to the states, or there's an argument this is a 1.5 trillion dollar infrastructure bill that, is that too much debt? There's an argument that that doesn't matter. Um, and uh, you hear that one from, from um, who's the, who is, uh, uh, Bush's vice president, Cheney, you Cheney. hear that from um, uh, Paul Krugman. And I don't know, you know, I, I, this is again, where I think that at some point in this sort of post-truth world, and the post-truth world doesn't mean that there's no truth. It means the truth is included. But we also see that there are every argument has a, is coming from a perspective, and that um, that I always I was taken by this philosophical principle that was developed by this Polish philosopher Leszek Kolakowski uh, back in the seventies, uh, and, and it sounds so up to date, uh, and it's called the law of the infinite cornucopia. And that's this idea that for any given doctrine that one wants to believe, there's never a shortage of arguments by which one can support it. And that's really true in, uh, when you get into these economic arguments and arguments of prediction where we, we're not exactly sure and we do models. And, uh, and uh, so I, I, I'm just, in terms of this infrastructure function, infrastructure bill. I'm all for it and how it works. um, I will trust emergence. Um, I will trust the fight itself. And uh, and so far, I will trust the intelligence and the pragmatism of modernity, actually. I do think that modernity gives us a base on which by which uh, that, that is resilient and strong enough that we're not going to descend into a pre-modern hell, at least not at the hands of a Donald Trump. Uh, As I pointed out before, the U.S. Constitution was written precisely with Donald Trump in mind. Uh, The autocrat was well known to the um, Founding Fathers. Uh, So I trust that still so far. (laughs) But if we do uh, uh, descend, Trump will lead the way. And, and, And I uh, I think of an interview I saw with him, it was before he was running for president, and people were talking, but he was talking about, we should build bridges, and we should build airports, and it's, you know, it's, it's great, you know, all of that, and the infrastructure. And somebody was talking about, you know, but look at what it costs, and, and look at our debt. And Trump had two solutions to American debt, uh, and he said, first of all, don't pay them. It's the Chinese, you know, they hold our bonds, don't pay them. So there's that. And then the second idea he had, uh, these are very radical ideas. The second idea he had was do a one-time surcharge on the very rich of uh, like a 10% confiscation of their wealth and just get rid of the debt and move forward. And so (laughs) we do have a very creative thinker on our hands here, (laughs) but I will... um, uh, I think uh, so far, I'm still trusting emergence and institutions uh, and people come and go. But emergence is, uh, is the thing. All right. So those are my thoughts on this. And um, I appreciate you listening. And Corey, any thoughts you want to share or add?
1: Oh, I've got so many thoughts to share and add, Jeff. So many thoughts. Well, first off, you know, uh, I, I enjoyed your piece about forgiveness and how you just, you know, you can't bring yourself there. And, you know, I, I think in, in sort of the real world, no in one. In due time. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, no one is expected to forgive the murderer when he's actually still in the act of murdering. Yeah. Right. Usually, usually it comes a couple steps later. Um. Yeah. When it comes to the wall, I'm with you. And I think I'm, you know, I think we're both with Andrew Sullivan here, which is sort of like, just give Trump, you know, $25 billion worth of toys and a sandbox, keep him occupied for the next few years. I think that comes down to something like $13,000 per dreamer um, in order to pay, you know, in order to, to fund that wall. I think that's a good deal and, and Democrats should take it. Um, and, you know, I also appreciate the fact that, yeah, a third of our country wants this damn wall. Yeah. And We're a in
0: democracy, people.
1: That's right. And from an integral point of view, it is critical that we actually try to thread the needle, that we actually try to provide what these stages are looking for, but in a way that doesn't sabotage, you know, everything that is built on top of those stages. Right on. Um, so I say, yeah, let's let's make these people feel more secure. For whatever reason, now, we can criticize – all the reasons why they feel as insecure as they do, and that's a that's a that's a long term. They thing.
0: shouldn't feel that way. I that's, grant you. That's right. I mean, it we'll should
1: be. That, that's right, and, and it, <laughs> the problem with the weaponization of media and the weaponization of news, and that's a that's a different episode. That's a different conversation, and that's probably a ten year process for us to figure that out. But in the meantime, in order to just sort of like you know get some of the venom out of this, just give them a damn wall. And, you know, and when it comes to infrastructure, I'm totally with you there. I mean, I, I think, look, when Trump was coming in, I thought that this was the big opportunity, right? And even though I oh saw my. Trump's redness, I saw how surrounded he was by sort of, you know, the worst of amber, not healthy amber, but very, very unhealthy sort of vitriolic amber. But I was like, you know, this is an opportunity for, for Trump's orange brand to, to really shine. And, you know, my whole thing when he was, I was, I was like, build us the biggest, greatest Coast to coast hyperloop. I mean, I was psyched when Elon Musk was coming on to, to you know, one of his councils. And I was like, you know, this, this is actually an opportunity to get bold here. And I know Trump likes to get bold. So build this hyperloop that actually connects, It actually helps solve this, this partisan problem that we have right now by connecting the heartland with the coasts. Making it so people in the heartland can go to the coasts easily, cheaply, quickly and vice versa for work, for vacation, for, you know, what have you. And that, that exchange of perspectives is itself going to help, you know, sort of reduce so much of this pressure and so much of this tension over the span of a generation or so. Um, and, you know, and put your name on it in great big gold. Oh, letters totally. You, see from the space, you know, do it. And that's, that's, <laughs> I feel like that was the opportunity. And, and, you know, if he did that, America would love him. I mean, he would, he would get what he was looking oh, there, for.
0: There, there's a chance that he's going to actually, uh, you know, go down in history. It certainly is a character. Yeah. I mean, I don't know whether he's going to be a villain. He's, he plays one on TV. There's no yeah. doubt about it. Oh, he's, he's the wrestling, uh, Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, uh, in terms of the actual consequence of his presidency, it's what, I mean, what hath God wrought? I mean, C- could you imagine living in more interesting times? I suppose you can, but we don't <laughs> want to. That's the Chinese curse, right? This, this is as interesting as we can take. So anyway. Yeah,
1: yeah. well, and, and, and um, as for the speech last night, um, which again, I boycotted, but I caught up afterwards. I, yeah, I, I, I sort of have two reactions. Um, one, I'm really happy that the speech went as well as it did for the sake of sort of, the American soul. <laughs> I'm glad it wasn't this red meat barn. Burn. He didn't come out and say, you know, he could have come out and said, guys, I'm closing down the FBI and I'm starting my own secret intelligence service. And, you know, I mean, all of this was within the realm of possibility, especially with this really stupid Nunes memo coming down the line, which again, I think that's worth a whole other episode. I mean, he, you know, this, this, this really could have been, Bad last night, and it was only you know kind of sort of whatever. Um, as most of <laughs> you thought, so I mean,
0: repulsive.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I'm only kind of repulsed. I'm not like you know, right? Stockpiling medicine or anything. Um, so I, I'm happy for that. At the same time, though, you know what 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 really kills me is, and this is inevitable, and this is true with every administration, largely left and right, but. The amount of credit that this guy's trying to take for the Obama economy. and I've got you know I just actually saw this, this thing getting uh, shared around Reddit today. Let me, let, me, let me share my screen real quick. And this, this kind of nails it. Um, this chart right here: U.S. unemployment rate, according to Trump supporters. So way on the left, the blue, Obama causes massive increase in unemployment during Bush administration. And then that middle part during Obama's tenure fake news. <laughs> and then way on the right that little sliver, glorious leader makes America great again.
0: <laughs> I know. I of is just, and That's inevitable. You know? He is so deeply shallow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> me more than anything to see uh, Mitch McConnell so happy.
0: I know. I know. Isn't that, I mean, we could just watch our reactions to these things and, and our antenna and what we receive and how we interpret it. And you know, whose face makes me want to reach for the remote to pause or change the station. And, uh, oh, what fun.
1: But, but you know, you, you nailed it when you said, look, if I, if I tried to slip into forgiveness too easily, that's actually, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's idiot nice.
0: compassion. Yeah, at the no, I, I, I trust emergence even in me. That, you know, well, yeah. I, don't, I don't need to fix anything. I'm just, well, I just but but I think, control.
1: Jeff, I think what you're actually what you're actually nailing is sort of I think the qualities of, of a mature integral mind, which is in that at that construct aware stage. What you're not doing is imposing some artificial template of how you're supposed to be and sort of containing and, you know, categorizing all of your reactions, filtering them all through this sort of super egoic, you know, idealized vision of who I want to be. And and in a sense, that becomes just as artificial. And and, and I think, you know, I see a lot of this on Facebook where people try to rush through a particular process that really – requires a lot of you know psycho spiritual kind of juice to unwind these knots and da and they want to just kind of get to the finish line without having to go through yeah,
0: what anymore. fun is that
1: you know and i and i think there's something again about this construct aware mind where you you sort of you see yourself a little bit more transparently and you're okay with yeah. you know the mm-hmm. goods and the bads and the peaks and the valleys and you know you've always got in the back of your mind well that's something i need to work on but what you're not doing is you're not pummeling yourself with sort of, you know, this either self-driven guilt or this misplaced ambition or, you know, whatever it might be that causes us to sort of pave over our own darkness yeah. and our own shadow. And, you know, this actually
0: That's where of the real to- growth is. Totally. And
1: totally. And this kind know, of relates and- to more Star Wars conversation. Like we need that, that balance, that interplay of, of light and shadow. If we just want to be honest about who we are as human beings, yeah. otherwise we're, We're only seeing a part of ourselves and it's not necessarily very accurate.
0: Yep. Yep. Right on, my friend. Yeah, brother. Yeah. Well, what fun is all of this? It's fantastic. Yes, indeed. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks, Corey. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.